0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 6 of my Genesis podcast. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Our subject is Abraham's test, or the sacrifice of Isaac. Here we are in Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. Now you remember God had changed his name from Abram to father of a multitude. Here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son. Now wait a minute, did God forget about Ishmael? He was talking about the son of the promise, the one through which the blessing would come. Whom you love, laughter or Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Well, that's one of the most appalling scriptures you will ever read. You know that one who has your heart, that is the most precious thing on earth to you. Sacrifice him to me. Early the next morning, father of a multitude got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Laughter. Now, Mama was really, really, really protective. So he must not have shared with her what he was going to do. He did not share with the servants. We know that from the passage that's coming up. He did not share with his boy. He just told them they were going to give a sacrifice. So there wasn't any screaming and crying and tearing the mother away. It was just, we're going to do a sacrifice. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, what must that have been like? To chop the wood, this old man, past 110 probably, chopping the wood for the sacrifice that God has told him to make. And here's the other thing. He has no one to share this with. He can't confide in his wife. He can't talk to his servants about it. He certainly can't talk to the boy about it. This is a test, and it's him, and how is he going to do on his own? He cut the wood. He set out for the place God had told him about. Well, travel was difficult in those days and it was several miles away. So it took three days. Now imagine your son has your heart. I remember the bond that I began forming with each of my six children from the time they were born. My heart would go out to them. And when that newborn would cry, it would literally break my heart into. And then when they had their important days, the first day of kindergarten or a birthday party or they were in a play at school or they got something their heart desired that they'd saved up for for a long time, any of those poignant moments, my heart just leaves my chest and goes out to them. And this is what Abraham has to deal with, his only son, in a manner of speaking. And he Sets out for the place that God has told him. He's walking toward the sacrifice. He's walking in obedience. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He sees the mountain range. He knows he's headed there. He knows what's being asked. And here you can see this old image that has the donkey loaded down with the wood. He said to his servants, they finally get there and it's up ahead. And this is very, very, very solemn and sacred and very, very private. And so he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. How did he know? How could he be so bold as to say that? We have a hint in the book of Hebrews. We'll look at that shortly. But he already had the promise of God. God said to him that it would be through laughter, through Isaac, that the blessing to the world would come. And so he didn't think that this was a sadistic God who changed his mind and was playing a game of bait and switch. Instead, he still believed that God would do what he said he would do. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son laughter. And are you starting to see from the Christian perspective some of the symbolism here? The son, the sacrifice, carrying the wood. Does that... Ring a bell in your mind, a picture of Christ carrying the cross. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. There they go, just the two of them. Healthy, strong, trusting, loving boy. And you can imagine what kind of a parent you would be If you have your child at that old of an age, you wouldn't be so much of a white knuckle parent and you wouldn't maybe always be such a stickler for the rules, you kind of relax a little. I had my last child at 42 and I wasn't the same mom at 42 that I was at 25. And so there's this really comfortable, loving bond between them. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Again, your heart would just leave your chest. How do you say these things except through faith? And Abraham answered, One of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Oh, you mean God had already told him how the story was going to end, and so it wasn't really that painful. He's just play acting here. He knows that God's going to provide a lamb up there with its horns caught in the thicket. No, he had no idea. This was purely a walk of faith. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place, God had told him about three days of testing. Oh, how grievous those days must have been to bear. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. This is almost unthinkable. So, He's going around and finding stones and he's arranging the stones and he's getting the wood off of the donkey that has accompanied them up to the hill and putting the wood on this offering on this altar. He bound his son Laughter. Did he have tears running down his face or was he? kind of on autopilot and completely stoic? Or was he smiling and trying to reassure his son? I don't know how he reacted, but his son somehow so trusted his father that he didn't fight the man who was 110. And somehow this old man was able to tie up a young boy of about 13, and laid him on the altar. Could you lay the most precious thing to you on the altar to God, on top of the wood? And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Father of a multitude, Father of a multitude. Here I am, he replied. That's the second time he had told God, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know. What? What? I'm kind of confused here. Now I know. Isn't God outside of time? Doesn't God see the heart? Couldn't God have discerned what Abraham would do in any given situation by just looking at his thoughts? Why would you put that man through this terrible test? Maybe because faith without works is dead, being alone. And maybe because if it's true faith and the attitude of your heart is right, it will show up in the actions that you take. And maybe because until you have actually done the work of laying it on the altar, then you haven't given it over to God. Father of the multitude looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. See the lamb on the right there? See the angel? See the anguish in the face of the boy? The boy suffered. He must have suffered through this. And what an impression it made. And did that act of faith get passed down from Abraham to Isaac? Oh, yes, it did. And then it got passed down from Isaac to his son Jacob. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, are you catching it here? because you have done this, you mean faith leads to action and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. But wait, I thought we already covered that in Genesis 15. I mean, long before laughter was born, God had Abraham out there on a starry night looking up into the skies and saying, so will your descendants be, and I will bless you and make your name great. So why is it that we come to this point and then he says, I will surely bless you? Because God really is outside of time and He really does know what people will choose and what they will do. And yet He requires them to demonstrate their faith. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, offspring, where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah, that was Genesis 3, wasn't it? The offspring of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent, right? That was the first prophecy about the Messiah. And here we are, not Genesis 3, but Genesis 22, and we're hearing about the Messiah again. Still the offspring of the woman, but coming down through the line that came through Abraham. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is a masterpiece done by Rembrandt in the 1600s. You see Abraham in his startled state dropping the knife as the angel speaks to him. There's something else we see here, though. The perfect plan of salvation has two components, does it not? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace and faith You remember that precious verse and many others like it that point us to the way of salvation. So you can't have faith unless someone has shown you grace. So why don't we look at the symbolism in this story that starts out with the grace of God, the lamb, the one that he would provide. That lamb was planned long, long, long ago. And in fact, it was John the Baptist that actually articulated that in John 1, verses 29 and 36. You know, that particular gospel doesn't tell us anything about the birth of Christ or the childhood of Christ or his dedication at the temple when he was a baby or any of that. It just jumps right in. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then while you're still in the first chapter, there's this meeting between Jesus and his adult cousin, John the Baptist. They're already grown, and Jesus is ready to start his ministry. And so we read in verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God. What? Lamb? Why would you call a man a lamb? The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Go on down a few verses. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the lamb of God. First Peter picks up on that in the first chapter, you know, Peter was one of the apostles, one of the disciples, and he says, it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Can you see Abraham taking that ram by the horns and getting those horns unstuck from the thicket where it found itself. And I imagine that that ram didn't fight him too hard. Surely it was a feral animal. Must have been absolutely perfect and without blemish. And then Abraham picks up that knife that he had raised to slay his own son, and he slits the throat, and just within a minute... All of the blood has poured out, and the blood can be placed on the altar. He was chosen before the creation of the world. Weren't we supposed to be talking about grace in this section? Grace. Okay, so it wasn't like at the last minute, this God, who was actually kind of sadistic, felt a little sorry for Abraham having to give his own son. And he says, okay, well, I changed my mind. Let me see. I guess we can find a substitute. Oh, no, this was all planned out from the very beginning. In fact, he didn't even have the idea right after Adam and Eve sinned. He already knew all about it chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. You see, God already has it all under control and planned out. And that's what I have to remember sometimes. When it's so hard to go forward and you don't know how he's going to take care of the situation, if you will just accept that this gracious God will give to you what you need in that situation. Revealed in these last times for your sake, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. What about this little snippet of a verse from the last book in the Bible, the book of prophecy about the end times, Revelation thirteen eight? It's talking about Jesus, and it calls him the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. You see how that echoes what we just read in First Peter 1? Chosen before the creation of the world. Now, what was the point of this section of the lesson again? Grace, right? In other words, giving something to mankind that he didn't deserve a gift that was unmerited favor, that is grace. First comes the grace. And even Isaac was grace, right? Because this idol-worshiping rich man who was just going about his business was called by God to be a blessing to the whole world and then blessed with a boy that he never asked for. He waited a long time, 24 years after the promise. that that boy came to him, and that was pure grace. And God had shown himself faithful to father of a multitude, And so, and I love this picture too. Look at that old picture you see there. The lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. The lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Do you see the cross there on the left? And do you see the blood from the heart of the lamb filling the chalice? This do in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. You see all the symbolism in this marvelous painting? Beautiful there. But the other part of salvation is not just that it's a free gift, but that in order to actually have it, you have to reach up and grab a hold of it. So that part is the faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. You know we're not universalists. We don't believe that every single person that's ever lived is going to be saved, even though God made provision, because not all have faith. And if you reject Christ, you refuse to take a hold of the gift that he offers, you cannot be saved. And so we go on and we look at the scripture about Abraham in Hebrews 11 the book we just finished last quarter. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac laughter as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. He didn't just say to God, yes, I put you first. And if push came to shove, I would do it if you asked me to, but I know you never will. He was asked to. And he did it, and he trusted God with the outcome. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned, and this was the little extra light that I was talking about when we were back in the middle of the story in Genesis 22, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So when he was telling those two servants that had come with him and Isaac for the three days and were going around with the donkey that had the wood on its back, when he said to those two servants, we're going to go and worship, 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 we're going to make him first, we're going to put our all on the altar, we're going to prove by faith that he really is the most important thing. We're going to go and do that, and then we're going to come back. He was speaking by faith. He didn't really know how it was all going to work out. Maybe he pictured that he would slay his son, and then God would raise him up. But this God that he had been walking with for over 30 years by now, he just trusted. And so instead of being A nervous wreck who was about to have an emotional breakdown. He just was okay because he knew the one in whom he had believed. Faith, that is the other component to salvation. God's free gift and our deciding to trust him. And you know that deciding to trust him really does mean you are number one. Not number two. Not somewhere on the periphery of my life and I'll call on you if I need you but really the most important thing to me in the whole wide world is my spouse or my children or my career or my reputation or the money I could earn you really don't get to be number 1 but you can be in my life that's not what he's asking for here Jesus made that very clear in Luke 14 he said if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. He can't be my disciple. What What kind of a verse is that? He's telling you to hate your family? No. But by that he means your love for me has to be so pure and extreme, and I have to be so much in the first place in your life that by comparison, Everybody else is a distant second. And then same Dr. Luke, go to chapter 18. And you remember he had a conversation with a man who said, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, don't commit adultery. And the young man said, well, all of these have I kept from my youth up. And did you notice that Jesus, when he answered him, picked all of the Ten Commandments that don't have to do with your relationship with God? It's all about how you treat others. Okay, don't murder. Check, got that one. Don't commit adultery. Check, got that one. But he didn't say anything about the first four commandments, about our relationship with God, because he knew this guy's problem was idolatry. Other stuff was more important than God. And so when the man persisted, well, I did all those things, what do I lack? Then Jesus actually answers him and he says, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. You see what he's telling him there? It's just exactly like what God said to Abraham. Take that thing that is the very, very most precious and important thing to you in the whole world and lay it on the altar. And he could see through that guy like he was a lace curtain. He knew he was an idolater. He knew he loved money. And so we cut to the heart of him and he said, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. He was really just saying, put God first. And you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And you know what the guy did instead of saying, well, it's really hard, but okay. The man went away sad because he had great possessions. He was not willing to pay that price. He did not have faith. Faith does not mean I believe God. Faith means I believe God so much that I trust him completely and I'll put every single thing on the altar. Same book, same chapter, so then we get down six more verses, and Peter and the disciples were watching this interaction, and Peter's thinking, okay, well, let's see, how does that apply to us? And he says to Jesus, behold, we've left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much as this at this time and in the time to come eternal life. If you think that that's an abstract concept, let me draw your attention to today's real life examples. This couple was featured in Open Doors for the Persecuted Church, and I get their newsletter often. They live in Iran. Sam and Miriam were arrested along with five other Iranian believers in 2019. These Christians were convicted of, quote, propaganda against the state for possessing Christian materials. Sam was sentenced to one year in prison, followed by two years of exile. Miriam, a nurse, was fined and is banned from working for any national institution, including the hospital she served for 20 years. Okay, that's bad, but get this. If that wasn't enough, the couple was also found not fit to be parents to their two-year-old adopted daughter, Lydia, simply because they are Christians. The judge declared that Lydia, who suffers from health problems, may spend the rest of her life in state care. The couple lost their appeal in the case, which means their daughter will be taken from them. Lay it on the altar. Would you do that? Are you really his disciple, or would you be like the guy that says, well, if that's what it's going to cost, you can forget it. I thought being a Christian was okay, but it's not that okay. What do the commandments say? I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And even though you love a sweet little Iranian girl that you adopted that has health problems, She can never be your God. Never. You remember Jim Elliott? He's the one about uh, whose life the story beyond the gates of splendor was done, the documentary in 2002. He only lived to be 22 years old. Excuse me, 28 years old. He died in Ecuador. He arrived in 1952. He wanted to evangelize Ecuador's Quechua Indians and they killed him. In 1949 when that kid was in college he was keeping a journal and you know he came to Luke 9:24 for whosoever will save his life shall lose it but whosoever will lose his life for my sake will save it and you know what he wrote as such a young man in his journal he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is saving faith. So this picture of God and Abraham and Isaac in the test, it shows us how you're really saved. God gives us a free gift that cost him everything. You think God couldn't relate to how Abraham was feeling? God gave us Jesus, and he watched him die. And no one came at the last minute and took Jesus' place. He took the punishment for us. Grace. And then our faith, it can't be a cheap faith. Oh, yeah, I'll serve him, I guess. You know, not if things get really difficult, but I'll serve him, not if he asks me to give up custody of my two-year-old daughter. No, I'm not doing that. But the kind of faith that says, I trust you and I will stick with you no matter what. You are number one. That is saving faith. That'll get you to heaven. Praise is holy for by grace I am saved. Through faith. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along.